0: Ezekiel. Now, the end of Ezekiel is by far, well, most of Ezekiel is one of my favorite prophets because the imagery is just so powerful. And not just that, I think it sets the picture for the coming of Christ better than any other prophet. Like, Ezekiel is going to set up Christ better than any other prophet. Now, you've seen lots of cool passages about Christ already, and they're all so important. And Ezekiel, without all those other prophets... Is not as rich, but Ezekiel definitely like really lays the foundation way more clear than any of the other prophets. So Ezekiel ministered to Judah from Babylon during 593 BC to 571. And what's interesting is Ezekiel is actually a prophet who's not in Israel or Judah, he's in a refugee camp in Babylon. And he's not ministering to the people of Judah and Israel. He's ministering to the people in exile. So when Ezekiel begins, he is in exile in Babylon with a bunch of other Jews in exile. And he's ministering to them and getting visions of Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar has invaded Jerusalem and taken people in exile like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Ezekiel, and others. He has not destroyed Jerusalem. Chapter 33 Ezekiel will get the news that Jerusalem has been destroyed. And it will be about a year later because it takes a long time for news to travel, hundreds and hundreds of miles. So it will be um, several months later that Jerusalem will be destroyed. So then the rest of that, it will be looking to the future of God restoring Jerusalem. So that's Ezekiel. Ezekiel's in exile with a bunch of Jews, look, going to talk about all the horrible things that are happening in Jerusalem. Then in 33, get the news that Jerusalem has been destroyed and then begin to look towards all the amazing things that God's going to do in the future for Jerusalem. And that's kind of the idea here. This is divided into three major divisions. The first one is chapters 1 through 24. This focuses on the impending destruction of Jerusalem. The second division is Ezekiel chapter 25 through 32. This contains oracle judgments, just like Isaiah verses 13 through 23. It repeats it all over again. And the last section is Ezekiel 33 through 48 which anticipates the reconciliation between Yahweh and the people. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the thirteenth year, on the fifth day of the fourth month, while I was among the exiles of the Keber River, the heavens, or the sky, opened up, and I saw a divine vision. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's exile. So the king of Israel, Judah, is in exile in Babylon too, and he's been replaced by Zedekiah, who we've been hearing about. The word of Yahweh came to the priests, Ezekiel, the son of Buzi, and the Keber River, in the land of the Babylonians. The hand of Yahweh came on him there. This is important to If you do all the math on this, Ezekiel is 30 years old. And we know he's a Levite. Which you're not allowed to be a leader over other people, other, other than your family, according to the Mosaic law, until you hit 30 years old. David can't become king, even though he's anointed at 12, he can't become king until he's at least 30. So he becomes king when he's 40. If you're a priest, you can't become a priest until you're 30 years old. Ezekiel is in exile in Babylon. It's his 30th birthday. He is a Levite and he gets to be priest. Finally, he would have been preparing his entire life to be priest. And he's finally able to be priest and he's in exile. He's in exile. He can't serve as priest. The thing that he's been preparing his entire life for cannot happen. And it's a good thing. He was picked by God to be a priest. However, God is still going to make him a priest. He's going to be a priest in a different way because God is going to give him visions of the temple and he's going to see it. And he's going to preach God to the people to hopefully cleanse the temple. So the sky opens up. Now, he gets more visions than anybody else other than Zechariah, except Zechariah is completely oblivious to what's going on. As I watched a windstorm or a whirlwind coming from the north, an enormous cloud from lightning flashing such that the bright light rimmed it and came from it. Now, remember, every time you see the storm or the whirlwind, it is judgment. It was glowing amber from the middle of the fire, and in the fire were what looked like four living beings In their appearance, they had human form, but each had four faces and four wings, and their legs were straight, but the soles of their feet were like calves' feet. They gleamed like polished bronze. They had human hands under their wings on their four sides. As for the faces and the wings of the four of them, their wings touched each other, and they did not turn as they moved, but went straight ahead. "...their faces had this appearance. Each of the four had the face of a man, with the face of a lion on the right, the face of an ox on the left, and the face of an eagle on the back. Their wings were spread out above them, and each had two wings touching the wings of the one of the other beings on either side of them, and the two wings covering their bodies." Each moved straight ahead, wherever the spirit would go, they would go, without turning as they went. In the middle of the living beings was something like the burning coals of fire, or like torches. It moved back and forth among the living beings. It was bright and lightning was flashing out of the fire. The living beings moved backward and forward as quickly as flashes of lightning. Now this is a powerful image. Here's what he saw. He saw the whirlwind. Now normally, Every single time we've seen the whirlwind, all we have seen is like a tornado of fire with lightning shooting out of it. When it came on Mount Sinai, when it led them out of Egypt, and it took them through the wilderness, and it came down to Mount Sinai, every time we've seen the Shekinah glory of God, the Hebrew word Shekinah means the dwelling glory of God, whenever we've seen it, it has just been described as a tornado of fire with lightning shooting out of it. And when it hits Mount Sinai, It sends a wind across the mountain. Our earthquake rips the mountain apart and God's voice comes out and everybody is scared out of their mind hearing the voice of God and singing and saying, we can't handle this anymore. This is the same thing that came barreling down on Job. And Job is like, I spoke once and I cover my mouth and I'm not going to speak again. Okay. It is is the whirlwind that comes on the the nations and judgment is a scary, freaky, make UP Europeans kind of an experience that all of them experience. And they all kind of paint that picture. We got a little bit more of a deeper glimpse of it with Elijah. When Elijah was taken away in the whirlwind and destroyed for his disobedience to God, it was described as a chariot and horses. Remember, There are no words that can accurately describe what God looks like or what he is. And even when we get to God in this thing, it will be like, it was like and like and like and like and like. If you read the book of Revelation, that's his favorite word. It's like this and like that and like that because I have no idea what it is. Okay? When it comes to visions of God, the like is one of their favorite words because they don't know what it is. They don't know how to describe it. Now we're going to get a much deeper picture. Still not going to be deep enough to be, see God for who he really is. But we're getting a deeper look into this chariot of God. And what you begin to realize, this Shekinah glory of God is not actually the throne of God in heaven. It's his portable throne, his chariot. And that's what's being described here, is that the actual throne of God was in heaven. But God came down on his chariot to dwell with Israel and put his throne there with them and moved around. So you need to envision the Shekinah glory in the wilderness, leading them around as the chariot of God. So this is what he describes. So he looks in, and he sees this burning whirlwind of fire. And in the middle of the fire, he sees four living creatures. He doesn't know exactly what they are. He just knows that they're alive and they're creatures. Now he describes them. The first way he describes them is that they're standing in a square. Now, he doesn't use the word square, but when you connect all the dots, it forms a square. And the way he describes that they have four wings. With two wings, they're up in the air flying. Okay, they're flapping and flying. They they have a human body, and I'll start with the human body first. They have a human body, but their legs are the legs of an ox, and the legs are bronze. Now, remember, fire is symbolic of judgment. And bronze is also symbolic of judgment because bronze in the ancient world has the highest melting point of any metal. I mean, now we have metals that take a lot more heat to melt, like steel, but they didn't have steel and all that kind of stuff. So bronze is a high melting point. And because it can handle more fire than any other metal, like gold and silver and nickel, it was symbolic of judgment as well so their feet are bronze and they're in the middle of the fire because the idea is it's all the better to stomp on you with they're the judgment of god they have the body of a human they have four arms they have the legs of an ox and they're bronze and they're on fire and lightning shooting out of them and later we're going to be told the lightning shooting at each other too and coming out of them going out of the whirlwind they have two wings and they're flying and with two wings the other two wings are forming a square so each one of them are forming a, po- a point on the square, and one wing reaches out to the one in front of them, and, so, and the other wing re- reaches out that way. And then the one in front of them has their wing reached out like this, pointing that way to touch their wing, and then reaching out that way. And then his wing is touching the wing of this guy pointing out, and they form this square. And so it's a chariot. So this is the four sides of a chariot. And they're flying. Then they have faces. They have the face of a human on one side. They don't have four heads. They have four faces. So face here is a human. Eagle. I'm gonna get, get, Eagles in the back. Ox and lion. Now what's the point? This is all highly symbolic. Human was the symbol of wisdom and knowledge. Because humans are the most wise creatures that God has created in his creation even though we don't always act wise. Lions are symbolic of kingship and authority. And then eagles are symbolic of divinity and sovereignty. And the ox is a symbol of strength and servanthood. So all these images portray what God is. Remember, everything is to be the image of God. And even these cherubim they're called four living creatures here but in chapter 10 Ezekiel's going to say in the four li- the cherubim I saw cherubim which were the four living creatures so this is what he sees they have four faces now this is where it gets interesting they move when they move they never turn so they're moving forward they don't say hey, I want to go left and they turn left and go that way because if you're forming a square in a chariot And you turn, that's going to mess the whole square up. It's going to become an amoeba. They never move. What happens is the human face goes, takes over. And when they want to go left, the other face takes over. And they go this way. And that face takes over, and they go that way. So they never, ever turn their body. They just move that direction. Later, we're going to be told that they move as fast as lightning. And they move up and down, forwards and backwards, left and right. But they never move diagonally. I don't know them. I think the idea is the four directions of the compass. And then in the ancient world, compass, south, north, east, west, were ideas of being everywhere. In a way, it's the best analogy I have to you. It's like the rook and chess. Okay, the rook and chess can't move diagonally, it can move forwards, backwards, left, and right, and that kind of stuff. So, except this 3D chess, so it can go up and down. They move, and there's all this fire and lightning shooting out of them. They're covered in this. It says, I looked and I saw, verse 15, one wheel on the ground beside each of them. The appearance of the wheels and their construction was like gleaming jasper. So jasper is like a blue stone. So he sees wheels sitting next to them. And each one of them has a wheel next to them, which is painting this chariot picture here. And all four wheels looked alike. Their structure was like a wheel within a wheel. This is weird. It's a wheel like this moving this way. And it has another wheel in it moving this way, and the wheels are, and that's physically impossible. You you can't have two wheels intersecting with each other, and the axles not grind on each other and just tear themselves apart. But that's impossible in the third or fourth dimension, what we're in. It's not impossible in higher dimensions. So it's a wheel within a wheel. And the idea is that this chariot can move any direction. So the wheel within a wheel. They would go in any four of the directions they faced, turning as they moved, and their rims were high and awesome, and the rims of all four wheels were covered in eyes. So all these wheels have like these blinking eyes. I don't know if they're blinking. They're covered in eyes. What does that represent? The omniscience, the all-knowingness of God, that God's knowledge can go anywhere, and He can go anywhere. He knows all things. There is nowhere He cannot go. When the living beings moved, the wheels beside them moved, and when the living beings rose up from the ground, the wheels rose up too wherever the Spirit would go, they would go and the wheels would rise up beside them because the Spirit of the living being was in the wheel. When the living beings moved, the wheels moved and when they stopped moving, the wheels stopped. And when they rose up from the ground, the wheels rose up from the ground and the wheels rose up beside them because the Spirit of the living being was in the wheel. This is the most important thing here. Wherever the Spirit directed them, they went. They're 100% guided by the spirit of Yahweh. And they only go where the spirit of Yahweh wants them to go and directs them. And this is what makes them different than us. They're completely led. That's the chariot. They're the four horses, pulling, pushing, moving, whatever word you want to call it, (laughs) this chariot. Now he begins to see the throne on the chariot. Verse 22, over the heads of the living beings was something like a platform, glittering awesome like ice, stretched out over their heads. So above their heads, coming out of the middle of the square, shooting up in the sky, he sees the most amazing ice sculpture you've ever seen in your entire life. And remember, this is all filled and covered and surrounded by fire and lightning. So this is like a glowing ice sculpture, with and it doesn't melt. So, under the platform, their wings were stretched out, each towards the other. Each of the beings also had two wings covering its body. When they moved, I heard the sound of their wings. It was like the sound of rushing waters, or the voice of the Almighty, or the tumult of an army. And when they stood still, they lowered their wings. Then there was a voice from above the platform, over their heads. And when they stood still, above the platform, over their heads, was something like a sapphire shaped like a stone throne. High above the throne was a form of that appearance of a man. So on top of this ice sculpture, or mixed within the ice sculpture, we don't know exactly sure, is sapphire-like stone coming out of it, and shooting up into the heavens, into the sky. I saw an amber glow like a fire, oh, sorry, on top of the throne was a form that appeared to be a man. So he saw, sitting on top of this throne, coming out of this chariot, the silhouette of the appearance, the outline of like what looked like a human body. I saw an amber glow like a fire enclosed all around from his waist up from his waist down. I saw something like, look like fire. There was a brilliant light around it. So when he looked at this figure sitting on the throne, the top part of the body was like a glowing ember or glowing metal. And the bottom part of the waist down was like flames and that's he sees this human-like being that's on fire waist down and glowing metal on the top part. Remember, fire represents judgment. I saw amber glow. Like, there was a brilliant light around it, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds after the rain. This is the appearance of the surrounding brilliant light. He sees this rain, circular rainbow. And the idea is a circular rainbow is probably the crown of God. Now remember, when you read Revelation and you read Ezekiel, God is light. And we're told that in 1 John, God is light and in him there is no darkness. He's just constantly described as light. But we always have this image of white light when we think of God. But when you really read how he's described, he's described as every color of rainbow light. He is a prism and then some. And so the idea is that, remember the rainbow is his battle bow and he hangs in the sky and says, I'm no longer at war with you. Well, his crown is a rainbow too. Not only does he have all this light shooting out of him, but every color of the rainbow and probably tons of lights that we can't see on the human eye spectrum is his crown. And then he says this. This, like the appearance of a rainbow, the clouds of the rain, this is the appearance of the surrounding brilliant light. It looked like the glory of Yahweh. When I saw it, I threw myself face down and I heard a voice speaking. Now, this is powerful because he sees God, but he doesn't see God. Now, some of your translations were a little bit different, and I like the other translations better when it comes to this. He says, I think it's, I saw the appearance or the likeness of the appearance of the glory of God, right? What he's saying is, this is God, but I didn't actually see God. I just saw the glory of God coming out of him, but I didn't actually see the glory of God. I saw the appearance of the glory of God, but I didn't actually see the appearance of the glory of God. I saw the likeness of the appearance of the glory of God. This shows you how awesome and glorious and righteous God is and how much of a sinner Ezekiel is. Ezekiel is a righteous man chosen by God to be a prophet. And he is getting a deeper look into the glory of God than anybody in all of human history ever has. And yet even he can only see the likeness of the appearance of the glory of God. This is why I, this is such an awesome and cool experience. And there's some amazing pictures that artists have drawn out there representing it. But even that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of the amazingness of what Ezekiel saw in real life. Yet even that doesn't even scratch the surface of what God truly is. And not only should that demonstrate how awesome and amazing and glorious that God is and all of his wonder, but it also should make it very clear to us the amazingness that that is now in us in the Holy Spirit. And guess it will be really cool one day to see God in the new kingdom of God. That's coming down to earth. But that is in you. And we're going to talk about this more when we get to the end of Ezekiel. But remember, Paul and Peter and all of them call us the temple of God. And if that shekinah glory of God was in the temple, and we're the new temple, and the Holy Spirit comes and dwells us, this is in us. Now, I'm not saying that literal thing is in us. In some ways, something literally metaphysical, physical, I don't know what it is, is dwelling in us. I don't think that's just a metaphor, like God's in you, but no, he really isn't. The Holy Spirit is in us, but it's also not like the Holy Spirit's like in us, like physically there, like this little human. So that's that. I don't understand the Trinity. I don't understand how Jesus Christ, God, and man, I don't understand how the Holy Spirit's in us, but not in us. So, but this is in us. And more than just a metaphorical, a nice little cute saying school language kind of a sense. This is the power that is dwelling in us to give us the ability to do anything.